I woke up on Saturday morning, I looked at the Google Analytics and saw something like 500 or 600 simultaneous visitors to our website. Most employees would rather have the boss who at least tells them where they stand than the one who doesn't. You're listening to The Growth Show, a podcast that uncovers interesting stories and advice on growth from every corner of the business world. We've all been there. We've all been sitting across from somebody else who wanted our guidance. And the easy thing to do is to dive right in and save the day. But sometimes saving the day causes its own problems. I'm your host, Kip Bodner, the CMO here at HubSpot. We're chatting with Michael Bungay-Stainer. Michael is the founder of Box of Crayons, a management coaching company. And most recently, he published a book of practical management advice called The Coaching Habit. Let's dive into our conversation with Michael. So right now, you are spending most of your your life uh, talking about management, writing about management and coaching. How did you figure out that's where you wanted to spend your time? So, you know, honestly, Kip, you know, it was a combination of stumbling around and doing a bunch of things, uh, having a chance to reflect on, on impact and meaning and how do I do more great work. And then you probably combine it with a bit of kind of Jim Collins wisdom. And I don't know if you ever heard this one about the way to be strategic is you fire bullets and then you fire a cannonball. <laughs> you know, firing bullets, lots of small tests and kind yep. of figure out where the real target is. But once you find the target, that's when you fire the cannonball. That's where you kind of go push your chips and go, I'm all in. Mm-hmm. And his point is, uh, you know, most people either fire their cannonball too soon. You know, here's my first idea of, I'll fire it and I've got no more resources left. Or they never fire the cannonball. They never pluck up the nerve to commit. Mm-hmm. And for us, what we've done, you know, I've done a, a bunch of things in my time, but uh, when we kind of hit this piece around wanting to provide practical coaching tools so that managers can coach in 10 minutes or less, that felt like my cannonball moment. And, and we've kind of pushed all in on that since then. All right, so talk to me about that because there are a ton of people who are managing folks yeah. that listen listen to the show right now and you've got a book out that's mainly centered around asking like these seven specific questions i think at a high level managers are like yeah i should ask people questions i want to learn <laughs> exactly. about people I, I think that that's no surprise but you just said something where valuable coaching in 10 minutes and it's like let's get into the blocking and tackling like the hard stuff of management so talk to me about how you actually give valuable feedback in 10 minutes yeah. Well, it's useful to understand, first of all, the gap between theory and practice. Because, you know, in theory, everybody gets coaching. You know, it's like stay a little more curious, give a little less advice, be on the other person's side, do all of that. In practice, people are terrible at that. They're terrible. Why are they people terrible at it? Why, why are they bad at it? Because they are advice giving maniacs, right? <laughs> they love to have the answer, they love to give advice. And there's a couple of reasons for that, Kip. The first is, of course, just habit. You know, we've built up practice for the two, five, 10, 20 years we've been working and before that our time in school about what's valuable is having the answer. That's how you add value as a manager and as a leader. And actually there's a, the three principles that we talk about in the book and in our programs are be lazy, be curious, be often. And here's what I mean by that. Be lazy 
is this insight that when you start leaping in and fixing things and solving things and giving people the answer, that actually doesn't serve you and it doesn't serve them and it doesn't serve the organization. You're just creating an overly dependent person, overly dependent team, and you're creating a sense of overwhelm in your own life because now you're doing their job as well as your own. Being curious, of course, comes back to that piece around people don't even realize how much they like to leap in and have the answers. You know, you're into a conversation, 25 seconds into it, you don't even know what they're talking about, but now you've stopped listening to them and you're just waiting so you can actually tell them the suggestion that's popped into your brain. And the be often piece, Kip, is about understanding that if you're thinking of coaching as a kind of, it's our once a month coaching session, that's the wrong way to be really thinking about coaching. The The metaphor is what you're striving for is drip irrigation, not the occasional flash flood. So you want to be thinking about coaching as an everyday activity, something any intervention can be more coach-like, whether it's a one-to-one, whether it's a team meeting, whether it's uh, even an, an email or a text, all of those can be infused with a little more curiosity and a little less leaping to give them the answer or the solution. So, so before we go further, give me a scenario where, and give me the rundown of both. So what would it look like for a manager who's just given the answer? And what would that same thing look like if somebody was being curious? Great. So this guy called Kip comes into my office. It's our one-to-one meeting. He's a great guy. He's a great guy, although he's troublesome. You know, yep. he's, he's, you know, he's been irritating, but I've learned to like him over the years. And he's like, Michael, how do I do the thing? And I'm like, oh, I can, I can tell Kip how to do that because I kind of know how to do it. And I'm not entirely sure what's really going on, but, you know, I can tell him the answer. And you know what? That will get him out of my office really fast. So I go, Kip, here's how you do it. Blah, 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 blah. And he goes, fantastic disappears. Now, that's okay. Um, But what you've taught him is he doesn't have to figure this out himself. He can always come to you. And what you haven't done is actually gone, do you really know what's going on? Do you really understand the challenge? So you may have provided a solid answer to the wrong challenge, or you may have provided a not quite right answer to the right challenge. Here's an alternative. Kip comes into my office and goes, Michael, how do I do that? And, you know, I can feel every fiber of my being twitching as I'm like, oh, I want to leap in and add value. But instead I go, look, Kip, I've, I've got some ideas on how to do this. But look, before, and I'll share them with you. But before I do, just let me ask you, what do you think the real challenge is here for you? What's the real challenge? And what I'm doing is I'm slowing down the rush to action. And I'm recognizing that the first challenge that people come with is rarely the real challenge. I mean, sometimes it is, but mostly it isn't. And I'm getting him to now do some thinking and reflection on what's going on here. So I go, Kip, what's the real challenge here? He go, he'll stop and he'll have a think and he'll go, okay, I think it's this. And I go, good. And what else is a challenge here for you? He's like, oh, man. Okay, and he'll give me a second answer. And I'll go, okay, this is all good, Kip. Is there anything else that's a challenge here around this for you? And he'll maybe give me a third answer. So then I'll go, okay, so Kip, knowing all of that, what's the real challenge here for you? And what's going to happen in just two or three minutes is we're going to deepen that conversation. We're going to get closer to what the real challenge is. He's going to be doing the thinking himself. So what we're doing is we're literally creating expanded potential and expanded capacity in that person. And the irony is this. When people get clear on what the real challenge is, they pretty much always know the action that needs to be taken. So I don't even need to tell him what needs to be done. He's like, oh, 
man, if that's the thing, well, then I can just, I, I just need to do this. And I'm like, exactly. Get out of my office and go do that. And that's the difference. Both strategies are fast, but the coaching approach, being more coach-like, increases capacity, increases self-sufficiency, and is more likely to get the right answer to the right challenge. Okay, but there, there's somebody listening to this right now, and they're saying, so what you really just did is ask this guy like the same question like four times yeah. over and over again <laughs> to try to get to the root yeah, of the yeah. problem. I think they, that they're just going to think, I don't know what to do, right? Yeah, like they're just exactly. going to think that I don't know the answer, and I'm just trying to hide behind these questions. Yeah. So how do you have the credibility to ask those questions uh, without feeling like you're somebody who's just trying to, to punt the ball down the road? I'm going to say it like this. There are two people in this room, and they're standing in two different rooms. One's a person in the land of the answer. One's a person in the land of the question. The person you're asking the questions of, the kip in this conversation, actually... Sometimes he may be thinking that, but most of the time, honestly, he is wrestling with the answer. He's not trying to figure it out. It's harder for the person who's just asked the question because here's the difference. When you give somebody the answer, even though it might be the wrong answer, even though you might be trying to solve the wrong problem, it actually feels pretty good because you know what? You're smart. You've added value. You're in control of this conversation. There's not a whole lot of ambiguity. You've proven that you're the, actually kind of the smartest person in the room. But as soon as you shift your behavior and start asking questions rather than defaulting to giving answers, it's actually a less comfortable place to stand. There's, you know, you ask the question and then part of you goes, was that even a good question? And then part of you goes, well, why are they waiting more than a second and a half to answer this question? Maybe it was a terrible question. Mm -hmm. And then part of you goes, well, are they going to give me the answer that I'm hoping for? Are they going to give me a different answer? And can I even handle whatever answer it is that comes at me? And so there's a lot more ambiguity in this place, a lot more uncertainty, because here's the thing about empowerment is it actually means giving away some of your power so the other person can take some power. So this is classic servant leadership. You're willing to step into that place of discomfort in order to allow that other person to expand and step into their potential, but also to serve yourself because you'll actually get to work less hard and have more impact if you're more coach-like most of the time. Just to, just to be clear, I'm not saying that you now need to abandon every management thing you've ever learned and only ask questions because that's, that's insane and that's irritating. When do you give them the answer then? Well, look, I, I reckon there's a couple of things. I mean, if you'd done what we had done, you know, you come into my office, ask, hey, what, how do I do this, Michael? And I go, look, I've got some thoughts on how to do this. Um, but first of all, what are your first thoughts? And, and what else could you do? And, and what else could you do? What you're waiting to do is wait as long as you can to give them the answer. Because nine times out of 10 or seven times out of 10, they're actually going to figure it out themselves. And the other two, one, two, or three times out of 10, there's actually a place for you to go, well, these are all good ideas, Kip, but let me give you some of the things I've been thinking about, and maybe there's something useful here. So you get to put your answers on the table. You get to pull them back from the brink of the abyss if their one good idea is going to be a disaster. You're not giving up that control, but you're just waiting as long as possible, because the longer you can wait, the better the chances that they'll step in, take ownership, expand their potential, become more self-sufficient, become better for them and better for you. I think what I'm buying here is that there's a balance between 
providing clear and direct feedback and action when you can understand that a person needs it because they just aren't going to be able to find the problem themselves to when you talk about asking these questions, it seems a lot of it about helping the person come to terms with accepting the problem. The problem must be, is I think often something difficult for somebody to kind of just confront and, and feel like they want to hit head on, head on, which makes, makes a ton of sense to me. Yeah. And, and often people don't, haven't really got to what the real issue is, you know, and I mean, it's worth teasing apart perhaps the difference between coaching and feedback. And, and there's a thousand different definitions, but here's how I think about it. You know, coaching is a way of managing your everyday interactions where you bring more curiosity rather than advice giving to the way you interact. So you can be more coach-like pretty much any interaction you have with somebody, whether, you know, somebody sends you a text or an email, you can still send them a question back. Hey, got your email, a lot going on here. What, so, so unclear, what's the real challenge here for you? You know, it's one mm-hmm. of the, the seven questions in the book. Feedback is when you go, Kip needs to hear something and it's not going to come up unless I actually go and find him and say, Kip, I've got, to, I've got some feedback to give you around how it went. And how do you have that conversation? So it's a little more proactive. And typically, it's a little bit more about this is the tough conversation that we need to have. So it's worth just teasing those apart. But certainly for coaching, it's about going, look, half the time when people show up and they've got something on their mind, they haven't yet got to the heart of what the real issue is, what the real problem is. And holding that space for them can be very powerful. Let's talk about your favorite or most impactful boss that you've had? And, you know, you're talking a lot about management. I imagine you've learned it from a lot of folks over the years. Tell me about the the best boss you've ever had. Well, do you want the best boss or the most impactful boss? Because they're different. I think I want both because I think people want to know why they're different. Yeah. Let me tell you, let me start with my most impactful boss. And this is a man who drove me crazy because not only was he tough to work with at the time, but even when I had quit and left, every now and then this guy would appear in my head and I could feel myself getting twisted up by this guy. He was this short, power-hungry, selfish, money-grabbing control freak who was non-strategic and a nightmare. And, you know... I don't know if you if you go through this kit, but I certainly do. You know, I, I think of this person, and I'm like, oh. And I have this imaginary conversation where I kind of vanquish them, and I prove how smart I am compared to how smart he is, and I prove that I'm right and he's wrong. And, and then it suddenly occurred to me, and I was living in Canada by then. I'm like, God, I'm spending a lot of emotional energy on this guy. And he probably, I mean, he probably doesn't even think of me ever because, you know, who am I? I'm just somebody who reported to him once, and he's gone off and had his own career. So I was like, wow, so what do I want to do about that? Because I do not want to spend the rest of my life getting wound up by the memory of this guy. Mm -hmm. And so the exercise was this. You write down all the things that that wind you up. So with this guy, it was like he's power hungry, he's selfish, he's money focused, uh, he takes all the credit, um, and he's not at all strategic. And all of those wound me up in different ways. So write that down and then what you do is you own those characteristics for yourself. So you say to yourself, I am money hungry. I am power hungry. I am not strategic. I take all the credit for myself. 
And even as I say it now, I can still feel that has an impact on me. It still feels true. And what it does, and it's, it sounds weird, but it seems to work, is that by kind of admitting that's true about some side of you, it's not the whole of you, but some side of you, it actually stops, it kind of lessens its power on you. You're not denying it anymore. You kind of admit it's part of you. It's under control. In this way, this guy, this boss in Boston, was the most impactful boss I had because it kind of created a leap of self-awareness and emotional intelligence, if you like, because I saw what was winding me up and I kind of pulled the sting on all of those different characteristics so it's not such a trigger for me now. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, and so you think so? This person was the most impactful because they help you help you realize this about yourself. Is yeah. that what you're saying? Okay. Yeah. So some so sometimes a good experience can come out of a very negative experience, right? A high stress experience, and you can get a lot of impact there. So that was the most impactful. T- yeah. Tell us about the best boss. Like, what did that person do? That person I probably would imagine is a big departure from the person you just described to right. us a minute ago. Well, you know, it's, it's funny, it's similar but different. So this is one of my first bosses in, in the UK. Finally got out of university, got into this, this job, and actually it was in the world of innovation and creativity. And this was in the kind of mid-90s, so really before innovation became a thing. Um, and this company was a, a, a kind of nascent innovation company. They were, they were almost like a fast company company before fast company had even you know, invented itself as a magazine. And one of the things that this guy did, Dave, um, there was a, a moment where he basically looked at me and the work I was doing and he said, Michael, the thing you need to remember is that you are a force for good. And that was an incredibly impactful piece of feedback for me. And I think what made it so powerful is that he gave me feedback, not on a level of you've done a nice job or you're, you're you're, you know, you're completing this task well or the clients like you or whatever it might be. He just tried to speak to the quality of the human he saw in me and wanted to nourish and bring forth and acknowledge that that was okay. And, you know, honestly, I bet you Dave has no memory of this whatsoever. But for me, it really spoke to a piece around this is what powerful feedback looks like and sounds like when you speak to the person rather than the activity. Um, and when you call forth what is really their best part of themselves, it really kind of connects back to that earlier conversation we had about doing great work because the, the route for doing more great work, work that has more impact, work that has more meaning, actually lies in understanding what's kind of the heart of what your values are and how do you kind of amplify them. That's one of the routes to do more great work. But it still resonates for me even today. So what you're saying he was really good at was the ability to set kind of motivation and focus. You know, he yeah. kind of reinforced the vision of how you were spending your time with that and did so in a way that was positive in a way that helped motivate you to want to do that more. Is that kind of the two things? It yeah. sounds like that's the, the two things there. And so let's think about the flip side of that. So right. there, I think there are a lot of managers who don't do that. And I imagine you've worked with a bunch of different managers, managers over the year who, <laughs> probably who failed to do that. I am one of those managers. But, I haven't just worked with them. I've lived both sides of that manager style. But what, so for the people listening today, and, you know, yeah. if they're listening, I imagine they're thinking, I care about people. I want to be a better manager. And if they want to be a better manager, what's, what's the mistake that you think most of them are making besides the, 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 the initial, you know, too quick to give a suggestion, 
not asking enough questions? What, what's, what's something else that anybody listening today could kind of take back and put into practice and feel like they up their management game a little bit? Well, let me speak to a principle rather than a tactic. But I think the principle is this, Kip. And, you know, we ask people all the time in our programs about what makes a good coach or what makes a good manager. And if there's a kind of deep-rooted principle that shows up most often, it is simply this. They, it, it feels like they are on your side. You know, they're with you rather than against you. They're walking beside you. They're champions for you. They're wanting you to thrive and evolve and do work that has impact and work that has meaning. And so they hold that balance between we're trying to do the stuff that makes a difference in this world, but we're also trying to do stuff that speaks to you as a human being, that kind of speaks to some of your values and how you want to show up in this world. So for me, it's, it's less about the tactics because tactics, you know, they change depending on the person, depending on the company, the culture, the situation. But the question I would challenge or at least put on the table for people to reflect on is when you think of the people on your team, or the people that you influence, do they feel that you are on their side? Or do they feel you're against them, which is, you know, kind of extreme. And one of the things that I think can truly make your impact as a manager and a leader is to say, how do I show up truly on their side? And of course, one of the, the, the key strategies and tactics, I think, is by being more coach-like, you show that you trust them, you show that you're committed to their development, you show that you want their potential to grow and expand and you want them to live up to their potential. And coaching is just one of those ways of behaving that can really drive that. So it's there's some clear themes from our conversation today. Our, our conversation's really been about empowerment, motivation, setting clear focus, and helping people really properly define problems. And it seems like those are some of the underlying themes that you believe in to make management great and, and to, yeah. to, to make the practice of management a, a worthy one. That's great. That's, yeah. that's nicely summed up, so thank you. Michael, I really appreciate you taking some time to chat with us today. Talk to us about management, which is a hard, kind of opaque thing for a lot of people to understand. And you provided some really actionable insight to hopefully make folks listening be, be a little bit more equipped to handle the day-to-day management challenges that they have. Kip, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me along. Your, your questions were wonderful. Appreciate it, Michael. Thanks for your time. Thanks for listening to our show. As always, we would love to hear your feedback. Tell us what you think by leaving a review on iTunes. 